0: Stay as we read God's word. First John chapter 1, we'll begin in verse number 1. The Holy Spirit says through John, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it Yeah, Uh, not a lot of Georgia fans right now, Um, and neither Kentucky fans either, okay? It was a rough night. I almost lost my religion yesterday. Um, uh, Last year, a a Pew poll, a Pew survey found that 35% of Americans uh, said that they were happy, Uh, and what makes that a big deal is that was the lowest ever recorded in the poll's history. Uh, there is a uh, condition uh, that is not only seemingly psych- psychological, but, but even also maybe physiological. It's called Anhedonia, which is the condition in which you have the inability to experience joy or pleasure. Uh, it's the feeling of numbness. And that you have lost interest in the things that you once enjoyed. And so uh, this condition is a core symptom in clinical depression. About 75% of people who are clinically depressed have anhodenia. Uh And, and that's, that's a real thing. It might be some of you this morning. But, but here's what I know. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone is living in a lifelong pursuit of happiness. Isn't that what the founding father says? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But a lot of people are miserable. They just are. Some of you might be miserable. And I think the reason why a lot of us are miserable is because we believe the lies that the world has told us about what'll make us happy. What happens is the reason we don't have joy is we pursue lesser joy, lesser joys that, that don't have the ability to, to give true and lasting happiness, joy, and satisfaction. Let I me mean, think about this. People get married and divorced for the same reason. Happiness. They marry a person because they want to be happy. And then they divorce a person because they're no longer happy. I mean, the great theologian Chris Rock said it best. He said, you can either be married or happy, but you can't be both. People buy things and sell things for the same reason. Happiness. You've got to have something because this thing will make your life better and it will make you happy. And then you'll see something else that you think will bring more happiness than the thing that you once loved. And now you get rid of the old thing to bring in the new thing. And then it loses its luster. And you are unhappy again. See, all of the things and relationships and and stuff, they, they promise happiness. But they don't have the capacity to deliver joy. But there is one who does. And the good news of the Bible is that Jesus Christ came to this world to bring true and lasting joy. Because Jesus is the only one who can bring it. See, joy is found in no one else but Jesus. And that's what John is saying here in these verses. Uh, this book, First John, is written by a guy named John. It is a Dear John letter. Uh, he wrote multiple books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John, which was to convert sinners. Uh, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is to confirm saints. Saints, And then he, he wrote the book of the Revelation to coronate a savior. Uh, John was the youngest of all the disciples and all the apostles. he is writing here around 90 AD, and he is in his 90s, and he is exiled to the island of Patmos. Now he is writing what we call an epistle. Now you say what is an epistle? Well an epistle is not an apostle's wife. <laughs> an epistle is a letter. And he's writing a letter to believers who were who were struggling with a lot of things. One is they were being told uh, a false doctrine called gnosticism which was saying that the physical is bad and the spiritual is good and that Jesus Really isn't who you think he is, that he was just born a normal man, but at his baptism, the spirit came upon him, the spirit of Christ. And then at his crucifixion, the spirit of Christ left him. And and what that did is that caused a lot of doubt and a lot of confusion over who Jesus is. And it also caused something else. It caused a lack of assurance. So people were struggling to know, how do I know I'm at really right with God? How do I know I'm really going to heaven? How do I really have assurance that I have eternal life? And so John here is writing, and the vast majority of the people he's writing to were not alive when Jesus died, and were not alive when Jesus rose from the dead. And so John's contention here in 1 John is for that next generation of believers so that they would have assurance. You know, I've been pastoring for now... 20 plus years believe it or not and and one of the biggest things that I talk to people about is their insecurity when it comes to their salvation and their lacking assurance of salvation and so the Bible is very clear you can know and John here is writing because he wants everyone to know who Jesus is and how to have assurance in him so John in This epistle is wanting us to know that Jesus Christ came to bring joy, peace, hope, love and life to those who trust in him. And so as you've already seen here in chapter one, we see that joy comes when we know who Jesus is and when we share Jesus with others. So let's just unpack that. Number one, joy comes by knowing Jesus and knowing who he is. And so verse one. John starts that which is from the beginning. Now, this is very similar to how he begins his Gospel of John, John 1 1, but also very similar to how the Bible begins in Genesis 1 1. John says that which is from the beginning. Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John here connects Jesus with Genesis. Now, why is that? Because, listen, Jesus was not a part of creation, but Jesus is creation's creator. Jesus did not start in Bethlehem, but he was actually there at the very beginning of the universe. He was there at the beginning because he has no beginning. You know, we can almost fathom what it's like to not have an ending, I mean, like in our minds, it's really hard to imagine the ending of our lives. We can almost fathom not having an ending, but it's really near impossible to fathom not having a beginning because all of us had a beginning. We had a mom and a dad. All of us had a start. Everything in the entire universe had a beginning. But Jesus is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. There has never been a time where Jesus has not been, and there never will be a time in which Jesus will cease to exist. He who was, who is, and is to come. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And so John here, in his Gospel of John, says the following. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word with was God. Now we're reading this. And even in first John one, we're hearing this whole idea of word. And in John one, we're reading this idea of word. And the Bible here is saying that Jesus is the word. And you're like, what is that? Well, I'm so glad you asked the word here. Word is the Greek word logos in the Greek world. This was an idea, a concept, the logos Was the unseen force that held the universe together. Think a little bit like Star Wars, the force. Okay? So, in the Greek, Greco Roman world, the the word was the force. It was the uncreated principles of reason that gave order and structure to the universe. And so the Greco-Roman concept of the Logos was that there was some impersonal force that was holding the world together. And what John is saying is that the impersonable force is not impersonal. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. See, Jesus is the word of God. He is God's special revelation of himself to people in a language that they can understand. Do you understand that Jesus is God in a language that you can comprehend? Now, how do you know that? Because he starts in verse one, and says, that which is from the beginning, the transcendent, the high, the holy one is that which we have heard, seen and touched. That Jesus is audible, visual, and tangible. John here is saying that we personally experienced the real Jesus. We lived with him. We learned from him. We walked with him. We talked with him. We ate with him. We heard the voice that spoke the world into existence call out our name. We saw the miraculous. We saw the dead rise from their tomb. We saw the lame leap from their condition. We saw the blind see. And we felt Jesus' resurrected body. This stuff is real. This is objective truth. Not subjective truth. See, there's a difference. Subjective truth is... Is really dependent upon you. And so, for example, you can say, Man, uh, it is hot in here. Okay, that's subjective. Because somebody else can say, It's freezing in here, right? And some of you say, Well, I'm feeling all right. (laughs) It's subjective. It's really up to you. Objective truth is that we are in Florida right now. If you didn't know that, (laughs) you're in Florida. Amen. Subjective truth is up to you. Objective truth is reality. John says that we saw him, heard him, touched him. And what John is teaching is this. It's something that is muy importante. He is teaching the humanity and divinity of Jesus. Now, this is going to be important, so you need to stay with me. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. Not 50-50. Not 100% God and 0% man. Not 100% man and 0% God. Fully God, truly man. He's so much God as if he wasn't man and so much man as if he wasn't God. Now listen, unlike, unlike Mormonism... Jesus is not a man who became God. Jesus is God, is God who became a perfect man. All the perfections of his attributes that are God's are in him. He is the second member of the Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal with God, but he is the one who took on flesh and blood. How many of you have seen The Chosen? Any of you? Figured out how to watch that? Yeah. Thank God it's on Netflix, all right, (laughs) or whatever it's on. The reason why people are drawn to the chosen is because it makes Jesus relatable and real, doesn't it? What I'm talking to you about right now may seem a little boring to some of you, but I'm telling you, this is a miracle. The almighty, transcendent, thrice thrice holy God came to this world to be knowable, huggable, vulnerable, and killable. It's a mystery of the incarnation. John put it this way in John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why this is so important is that if God did not become a man, he could not save mankind. Because how else are you going to kill God? If the wages of sin is death, how are you going to kill God? God had to become a man. You know, me and my wife, we walk every evening In the past two or three weeks, it's been terrible to walk because of the mosquitoes. Anybody else? Anybody else struggle with mosquitoes? It's terrible. Those bloodsuckers, I mean, yeah, it's terrible. You know, my mom and dad, we're from Kentucky and, and, and they have a bug zapper in their back porch and they live in Port Orange And uh, what they do in the evening for entertainment is sit out there and under the glow of the bug zapper, and then watch stuff happen. (laughs) It's like National Geographic, right? You know, here comes the mosquito flying towards the light. Anyway, (laughs) so we should imagine in your neighborhood there's a giant bug zapper. And all the mosquitoes in your neighborhood, they are being sucked in and they're being zapped. But you, you had a heart for the mosquitoes. And you wanted to save the mosquitoes. Well, what would you do? Would you go outside and, and, and yell, hey, mosquitoes, listen to me. Do not follow that shiny light. If you do, You will surely die. If you did that, you know what the mosquitoes would do? They would say, fresh meat. (laughs) They would bite you and then they would get zapped. So how could you save the mosquitoes? Now listen, this isn't the most theologically astute thing here, all right? (laughs) Uh, Don't turn this into systematic theology, all right? How would you warn them? Well, you would have to get on their level, right? I mean, you'd have to become one of them. And so you go and get a law degree. <laughs> it took a minute, but it, but it, y'all got it, right? <laughs> that's funny, I don't care who you are. <laughs> Now, if you're an attorney, we love you, okay? <laughs> the blood-sucking one's not so much, but we, all right, y'all caught the joke if you didn't catch it already, all right? Like the middle of school kid's are like, what's he talking about? You know, there you go. So you would go and get a law degree, you'd earn their trust, then you would communicate with them, right? And you would, you would tell them, hey, don't go to the light; you'll be zapped. Well, they're, you know, the issue is that you can't do that It's impossible. The mosquito's problem is not the lack of perspective. It is not only the lack of perspective to understand the danger. They don't. But But they also, those of us who have the perspective, have no way to warn them. And so how can a holy God save humanity? He had to come and be among them. See, the audacious claim of Christianity is that the God who made the world is the God who walked on it. That Jesus' purpose in coming to this world was not to amaze us, teach us, model virtue for us, or even warn us, but he came to this earth to save us from hell and from ourselves. And for him to do that, he had to become fully God and truly man so that he could die for us. He had to become like us so he could save us. Now listen, listen. I have traveled all over the Middle East. And this is a huge stumbling block for those in Islam. The people in, 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 the, in, in the Muslim world struggle with Christianity because they cannot believe that God could become a man. See, in Islam, God could never become a man. Even in Judaism, the, the stumbling block that they have is that God cannot become a man, that Jesus is not God. but the reality is is that if you deny God becoming a man, then you're denying that He could die on the cross and raise from the dead, and in absence of a savior, you are left to save yourself, and the problem is it's impossible. And so what John is saying is that Jesus Christ, the eternal life of God, has come to make everything right with God. He has come to do everything necessary so that you and I can be right with God. And that is the source of true joy that, listen, this is the best thing I can give you. Joy comes from having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's where joy comes from. Joy doesn't come from a sports team winning. Joy doesn't come from the right person giving you a job. Joy does not come from the amount of money in your bank account. Joy comes from having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It comes by truly knowing who Jesus is and truly knowing what Jesus has done. That's why when the angels came to the shepherds in Luke 2.10, uh, 2, they said this, Fear not, for I behold, I bring to you good news of great joy which will be for all the people. The great joy was that the God who created the world has come to us to bring joy in a world of chaos. That he has come to save us and to restore us so that we can have a right relationship with God. Now stay with me on this. What's gonna give you joy is having a right relationship with God. And that assurance that not on the basis of what you have done, but on the basis of what he has done for you. It is that that produces joy. And joy is the secret reservoir of strength that helps you keep on keeping on in a world that's messed up. You could be in the middle of a war with bombs and missiles and, and still have joy. Now, when the guy who is writing this book is a guy named John, I told you John was an older man. He was an old man. And he endured a lot of junk. And yet he still had joy. You know one of the biggest prayers of my life is that when I become an old man that I'm not a curmudgeon, that I still have joy. Now stay with me. Joy doesn't mean you don't have trouble. Joy doesn't mean that you don't grieve. Joy doesn't mean you don't get brokenhearted. Joy just means that you've got something that keeps you going and keeps you up. It's the blessed assurance that helps you keep living for Jesus. See, joy is not just merely being in a good mood. And joy is not just always being happy. Sometimes we have this idea that if you're a Christian, you've always got to have a smile on your face and you always got to act like Pollyanna, but that's not reality. But here's what joy is. Joy is an anchor in the storms of life. It is the immovable rock to stand on when the waves of life threaten to destroy you. It is tenacious. It fights. It grips the promises of God. It is the well of strength and courage to stand against the tide and to trust in God. That's joy. And it's joy based on assurance. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. This is a stupid illustration, but maybe, you'll, maybe it'll work. We'll see. If you knew you had a hundred billion dollars in the bank and you got a bill in the mail for one million dollars, now listen. If I get a bill in the mail and it's a legitimate bill in the mail for a million dollars, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Right? Right? And take up the offering. right? (laughs) But if you had a hundred billion dollars in the bank and you get a bill for one million dollars, are you going to freak out? No. Because you've got the assurance. You've got a hundred billion dollars in the bank. The assurance that I'm telling you now is better than that. It is something that money cannot buy and death can't take away. Here's the deal. You may have $100 billion in the bank, but the day you die, it goes to someone else and the government. John here is writing saying, I want you to have assurance that this, that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus has done what he said he would do. And that if you trust in him, you can know that, you know, that, you know, you have eternal life and that gives joy. When I watch TV shows, I get really into it. Does anybody else? Now, I don't want to name any shows because I don't want you to know how big of a heathen I am, but <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever watched a show where the main character is the name of the show? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And it's got like eight seasons. And you somebody spoiler alert, somebody told you how the sucker ends. So you're in the middle of season two and everything looks like it's all about to be over for the main character. But then you're like, well, that can't happen in season two. There's eight seasons. They're not gonna whack him in season two. Because what kind of show would this be? If the name of the show and the character, the character doesn't make it to the end, that'd be a terrible name for a show, right? We got something better than that. We know how the story ends. We've already won. Because he's already won. Tim Keller, I love him. I love Tim Keller. Now, sometimes we may disagree on some stuff, but here's what he said. He says, Christianity is the only religion in the world that grants you absolute assurance of where you stand with God right now. All other religions say you're saved by your life. Therefore, you can't be sure you're saved until your life is done. So you never know. Christianity is the only religion that says you are saved by the life of someone else. Wow. Joy comes by knowing who Jesus is. Secondly, Joy comes from sharing Jesus. Verses one through three are one long sentence in the Greek. Those of you, grammar scholars, you're like, well, that's a run on sentence. Well, this is inspired scripture. <laughs> Amen. It has one main verb. The main verb of the sentence is we proclaim. So, everything that is in this verse is about what they're proclaiming. Now, the we here is not the royal we, it's not the editorial we, and it's not that John has a mouse in his pocket. (laughs) The we here is speaking of the apostolic community, it's all the apostles. And he says that we are the firsthand personal eyewitnesses of Jesus, that we heard him, we saw him, we experienced him. And we are proclaiming, we are telling you what we have personally experienced in our own lives. And so if I were to boil down this entire paragraph, here's kind of what it's saying. We are telling you everything we heard, saw, and experienced about Jesus Because we want you to know what we know so you can experience what we are experiencing. Everything that John writes in this entire letter is so that people would know what he knows and experience the joy he's experiencing. That's why he says in verse four, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, you can translate that word are in the Greek. There's a lot of debate there. Is it our joy, like that's the apostles' joy, or is it, could it be translated your joy? And here's what I would say, yes. Because to John, their joy is his joy. Them knowing the joy of Jesus brings joy of Jesus to them. But it could also be that they get joy because they know that the other people know joy because they know Jesus. There is where we are. So here's what I would say. John is essentially saying this, nothing would give us more joy than for you to know what we know and to experience what we are experiencing. We want you to know Jesus like we know Jesus. Now if you think about this, this is the cry of every Christian parent for their unbelieving child. This is the cry of every believing spouse for their unbelieving spouse. This is the cry of every believing friend for their unbelieving friend. So here's my question. Who in your life is that one person who would make you so happy if they knew Jesus like you knew Jesus? Who? Who's your one? Who's that one person? See, joy is always found in sharing joy with others. The reason God says it wasn't good for man to be alone, one of the reasons is that it wasn't good for humanity to experience all this joy of God without sharing it with someone like them. I mean, when you experience something awesome, you have a burning desire to tell it to other people. And look, that's what evangelism is. We've made evangelism formulaic. We, we, when some people think of evangelism, they think of standing on the street corner with a bullhorn or picketing uh, in, a, in a protest or going door to door and asking people if they want to go to heaven or if they're going to hell. And I'm not saying that any of that's wrong, but I'm telling you that's not really what it is. Simple definition. Evangelism is sharing with others the joy you found in Jesus. It's to be an enthusiastic advocate. As you know, I'm an enthusiastic advocate of (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Okay. You know it, right? I'm an enthusiastic advocate of the University of Kentucky. Right. I am an enthusiastic advocate of my children. I love them. Listen, when you love somebody, you want to share that person with someone else. So evangelism is not trying to manipulate people or beat people over the head or being odd for God. Evangelism is not getting into some religious debate. Evangelism is just sharing the joy you have with others. Why? Because joy comes when others experience joy with us. Listen, when you enjoy something, you want others to know. So you tell others about a restaurant. Oh man, I went that place. It was so great. Or a movie. Man, I watched that. I cried twice. Or this TV show. Man, it's, now listen, give it three episodes. <laughs> I Don't bail. They had a low budget the first three episodes, okay? But man, then they start kicking it in. When you've experienced something better than you've ever experienced before, you want to tell everyone everywhere. And so here's the question. How much do you have to hate someone to not share your joy? You ever heard of Penn and Teller? This is an old, well-worn saying from Penn Jillette, but Penn Gillette, who's a, an atheist, talks about a time when someone came to him and was trying to share the gospel with him after one of his shows, and he had this thought that came to him, and so he rants, and here's what he said in his rant. He says, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going there or not getting eternal life and you think that that's not really worth telling telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And then he says, atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize or who say that just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. Here's what he says. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? Wow. See, our faith system is not built on faith, our faith, is, our faith system is built on good news. See, we're not calling people to an institution or a religion or a philosophy. We are calling people to experience the good news of Jesus themselves. We don't have to try to sell it because it sells itself. We just share it. Evangelism, as the old saying goes, is just one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. That's all it is. And you can do it. And everyone that's in this room that's a Christian, you're in this room and a Christian because somebody told you about Jesus. So I'm going to give you a a couple easy ways to share it, real quick. And I want to go ahead and say this disclaimer that evangelism is more than just inviting people to church. So here's something you can say to somebody. You see somebody, you see them tomorrow. Question you can ask What did you do this weekend? Well, they'll tell you. Now, it may be really, really bad what they did. (laughs) Please keep a straight face. (laughs) All right? Don't get all like preachy and judgy, okay? Say, okay, that sounds great. When you ask them that question and they tell you, and you don't sit there and make faces at them, they're inevitably probably going to ask you this question back What did you do this weekend? Here's what you could say I went to this amazing church with this really, really good looking pastor. Wait, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. Here's what you can say. I went to this amazing church that talks about Jesus and people's lives are being changed all the time. And then you talk about how your life has changed. Now again, you're not just inviting someone to church, you're telling them about your life. You see how that can be an opportunity? Let me give you another quickie, quickie. If you meet someone who's new into town, which isn't hard to do in Naples, (laughs) ask them this question. Have you found a church yet? And they may say, well, I don't go to church. I don't like church. And you say, well, listen, you'll love mine. Or, man, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm not into churchianity. I'm into Jesus because he changed my life. Amen? Simple ways to do it. Simple, simple, simple. It's not Christian pick up lines. (laughs) It's just a way to break the ice to share the love of your life. You know, I think the reason why a lot of believers have lost their joy is because they've forgotten who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. And, 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 and that's why they're not sharing Jesus with other people. But here's what you gotta understand. When you share Jesus with other people, it reminds you about who Jesus is and reminds you about what he has done for you. I am convinced that we would have more joy in our lives if we started sharing the gospel with other people. You ever heard of a guy named Max Licato? Some of you say, yeah, he's a really good preacher. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Max Licato tells a story, writes a bunch of books. Some of you middle school, I don't know who that is. Well, ask your your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, okay? They know. He writes a lot of books, but here's one of the stories he told that stuck with me. Stuck with me for over a decade. He says, when he was a kid, he and his friend and his dad, they, they went for an entire week of spring break fishing. And the, the week of spring break that they went fishing where they lived, it was like the coldest on record and it was raining every day or sleeting or snowing. And they were way far away from their home and they stayed in this little camper that was in the back of a pickup truck and, and, and they were just stuck in there. And so they would play cards and then, then all of a sudden they would start you know, fussing and they'd start fighting and people would get annoying. I mean, that, that happens, right, in close proximity. Because they, weren't, they couldn't go outside because it was too cold or it was too much snow or whatever. And so they would just be in there and they were, they were literally, they were picking on each other and fighting. And, it was, and, and Max Likato said, it was the worst fishing trip ever. It was terrible. We were stuck in the camper. So Max Likado said, you know what, that story was not so much about fishing as it was about Christianity. Here's what he said. He said, when those who are called to fish, don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we're casting stones. Instead of extending a helping hand, we're pointing an accusing finger. Instead of fishing for the lost, we become critics of the saved. Instead of helping the hurting, we're hurting the helper. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. And that's why churches fight. Because they've lost their first love and they've forgotten what they've been saved from. And they start looking for things they don't like, things that they can criticize and pick apart rather than doing the thing that God saved them for. And that is to make him known to the world. If we took the same energy that we put on Twitter or we put on running our mouths about people or sending nasty grams, if we put that same energy worrying about that into sharing Jesus, Naples and Southwest Florida would be reached for Jesus Christ. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fish. But if you tell someone about Jesus and what he's done for you and what he can do for them, it's like putting gasoline on a fire. That's where you get joy. Joy comes when you know who Jesus is. Joy comes when you share Jesus with others. See, joy comes from having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The bottle can't give it to you. The pills can't give it to you. Weight loss can't give it to you. Rogaine can't give it to you. (laughs) Your sports team can't give it to you. I mean, think about this. Georgia won two national championships in a row. And some of their fans are are in trouble today. It doesn't last. None of us have physically heard, seen, or experienced physical touch like the apostle John did with Jesus. But we can still have the same joy. Because if you are a believer, you have experienced Jesus and you are a witness to what he can do in your life. The young people, I used to be one. <laughs> I'm staring 40 in the face, and he's ugly. <laughs> the young people have this saying I Y K Y K. I Y K Y K. Translated, if you know, you know. I Googled that. Here's what it means. having knowledge, or being aware of something through personal experience. Only those who know Jesus know the joy I'm talking about. And the reason why some of you don't have joy may be because you've never personally experienced Jesus in your life. So let's end with this. Have you experienced this joy I'm talking about? If you haven't, you can today. Do you know that you know that you know that you have given your life to Jesus? Or have you just been playing some religious game to make your parents happy or to make someone else happy or to make yourself feel better? Do you know Here's what John said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You can know today. Would you bow your heads? If you're here in this room and you've never given your life to Christ or maybe you're watching online or listening to this podcast if you've never given your life to Jesus, you don't know, you don't know this joy I'm talking about. Would you pray with me a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner, I'm broken. And I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. I believe that you died for me on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and save me. I surrender my life to you. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, for those today who trusted you as Savior, would you give them that joy that's unspeakable, full of glory. And Jesus, would they have the courage to share it with others through filling out that connection card or speaking with someone, speaking to me and saying, I trusted Jesus today. I know that I know I'm right with him. God, would you move? And God, would you use us these next few weeks to share your joy with other people? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing this song of praise.